This episode is from a series of classes where Shakti Durga is reading from her book, Spiritual Mastery. In the class, she makes reference to the Tao, Chinese philosophy, meaning way or path. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. Rumi, who was a great Persian mystic, said, there's no salvation for the soul but to fall in love and that it's only from the heart that you can touch the sky. For me, devotion is love with commitment. And surrender is a doorway to, or an access point into a broader universe of possibility, inspiration and illumination. Devotion to all living things and the practice of spiritual surrender are hallmarks of spiritual self-mastery. What they have in common is that they both require quite a bit of courage and courage is born from our heart and from our soul. If we look back through time, Sages in virtually every tradition proclaim that the longest journey in any human life is the journey between the knowing of the mind and the wisdom of the heart. When I first wrote this book many years ago, the effects of spiritual devotion and surrender were still actually consolidating for me. And now as the book is being released again as a second edition, This chapter has been included as an introduction to an exciting and deep field of awareness that, in my view, changes everything. Bhakti, or devotional love, can be experienced as bliss, as splendor on the inside, as beauty. It's like a radiant joy that totally fills you and calls us into more unity. An experience of devotion is an experience of the innermost core of the Tao itself. Devotion opens our heart and lets our spirit soar, connecting us and enabling us to come into more unity with other people, with ourself, with the infinite. Sometimes it's hard to put in words how a change of consciousness can affect your appreciation of everything. When devotional love or bhakti yoga is added, life gets intensified and becomes brighter. Before devotion, it's kind of like the world exists in muted tones, almost like black and white. But through devotion and spiritual surrender, we discovered that an entire world of colour exists. Whole areas of consciousness that we didn't know anything about before suddenly become visible when we fall in love with the everythingness of creation. Devotion can be applied in any number of situations and relationships. One can be devoted to one's family, to a vow that you've taken, to pets, to projects, as well as the Tao, or your own inner development. Devotion creates a flow of energy between ourselves as the subject and the beloved as the object of our devotion. It enables the grace and strength of one to flow into the other. It's how couples grow happily old together And have you ever noticed that sometimes they tend to look like each other when people have lived together for many years? 
It's the basis of the river of love through which spiritual activations and lovely blessings flow out of holy people to the people around them. The thinking processes of the rational mind create a barrier to what lies beyond it. The barrier is comprised of our own preferences, our aversions and attachments, our own judgments, our perceptions of how things are, and lots of other things. A name for this illusory world that we help to create in Sanskrit is Maya, which includes not only our thoughts and beliefs and everything that flows from them, but also everyone else's as well. And all of this creates a separation in our consciousness from the all-pervasive, everlasting, omnipresent Tao. While it's very interesting, we get massively distracted by this Maya. If we could just get past it, we'd fall into bliss, which already exists beyond the limitation of our own mind, and then everything looks different to us. I've found in my own life that devotional spiritual practices create an inner fire. They activate our heart center and other energy centers within us and give us greater capacity to be aware of life in an intuitive way. Of course, this is beneficial to our consciousness. For a spiritual aspirant, it works best when combined with inner surrender. When we're speaking of surrender in a spiritual context, it's surrender of our narrow view of how we thought things were, and it's also a surrender of egoic control. It's a proactive process of deliberate intent, and it takes strength to do it. Spiritual surrender is nothing to do with weakness. It helps us to cut through mind-born illusion and perceive what else is there, what's real behind what we thought was real. It's a decision to give up the consciousness of what divides us from people and situations and to reach for a new level of truth that brings us into harmony. Imagine that you've got a brother, let's call him Tom, who marries a woman that you don't know called Janice. Your first impressions of Janice upon meeting her are pretty negative. She seems a bit arrogant, she's a bit self-absorbed and oblivious to the subtleties going on around her. Before you know it, you've judged her. You share your views with your sister who agrees with you. That judgment will tend to pull behavior from Janice of the kind that you've judged. In fact, Janice may be perfectly pleasant, but she might have just been nervous at meeting the family and that nervousness could have come out as arrogance. And then feeling off-center, she's not really in tune with her usual intuitive nature and thus misreads situations and nuances and then alienates herself and feeding into her own pre-existing underlying belief that she's not wanted. Round and round this will go, with one interaction after another, reinforcing a separation on both sides, which has no substance, but it seems real and it affects the relationships in the family. If we can get back into our hearts again and get through all of that Maya and get through to the love, then we can reinvent that relationship. We can bring relaxation and harmony into the family instead. Now imagine that through your devotion to your brother, 
you decide that you're going to make a big effort to extend friendship, kindness and love to his new wife, Janice. So you send her love and you behave with generosity and pleasantness towards her, even if she does seem a bit off balance or uncomfortable. The chances are that instead of feeling alienated and inwardly scared, she's going to feel the warmth that the family's sending to her. And instead of pulling back and guarding herself, she's likely to allow you to see her kindness, her love for your brother as well. And instead of being put off by outer circumstances, you'll be able to pierce the veil of illusion and come to see the spiritual core within her. The sense of being cared for enables us to be less guarded and thus we're more open to what's really going on around us. Misunderstandings can be rectified so long as we're not attached to our first impressions or attached to being right. Progress can be made in relationships. It takes love and a surrender of how we originally thought things were. Working through situations with love and letting go of that which holds us separate from each other is a bit of an art. We can learn how to extract our own negativity from situations and through love come to appreciate more of the facets of the diamond of each person and situation. We become more empowered to make a difference. Our whole life can turn around. In the end, we come to the realisation that what we first thought of as me giving love to you, subject and object, is actually just one thing. And in fact, we discover unity. From the perspective of the soul, whatever's going on for us is just a temporary stage on which the play of our life is taking place. None of it is more real than a dream. But from here... Down on the physical world, things appear pretty solid and pretty real, and that's how we experience it. When we're stuck in Maya, the illusory world, what our mind tells us just happened is central to everything. We get locked into a pattern. When we learn to love more, we're able to set fire to difficulties and melt that Maya, like veils being removed and revealing something that's different to what we thought it was. In the dark, a stick could look like a snake, but the light reveals that it actually was only a stick, and we were scared for nothing. As we pierce Maya through love and devotion, our world becomes pervaded by what is real. We get more aware of what is actually happening in our relationships and the world around us and find that things are not as fixed as we might have first believed, that there's always something to discover, all of the hallmarks of mastery and all of the spiritual laws will support us in this amazing journey that we take through life. It can seem complex, but it's, it's really very simple. Just fall in love. The power of devotion. The cultivation of our inner power of devotion gives us the capacity to really love in a committed way. Love turns the wheels of the cosmos. In high states of meditation, everything can be perceived as pure love merging into different forms, shapes and dimensions. Learning to love unconditionally opens within us a tremendous energy. It's also able to liberate us from pain, 
lift us into a different way of perceiving the world. And it's a very fast path to realization of our own internal light or higher self. Devotion or bhakti in a golden age of human history would be normal. Instead, in a dark age, we get devoted to Maya. In our modern mind-filled Western culture, it's not culturally normal to be devotional. We're taught that surrender is a weakness and that devotion is for the mentally befuddled. We think that we're giving our power away through these holy portals of inner spiritual fire. We've lost the sacred thread of spirituality and so without it, we're powerless to pierce the complex maya and see the truth. There's a lovely story that's told in yoga circles about bhakti and maya who were sisters. It's a beautiful story. Let me share it with you. Maya and Bhakti were sisters. Maya used to wear messy, tattered and second-hand clothes, while Bhakti, which means love, would wear stunning and gorgeous clothes. The two sisters lived together. At that time, the people of the earth were peaceful, loving and gracious souls who were naturally attracted to Bhakti. They knew she was beautiful in every way, inside and out. She was warm and kind, and she wore her lovely clothes and divine ornaments. These good people were repelled and repulsed by Maya, as she seemed poor of spirit, a bit dowdy, and she certainly didn't possess the inner or outer beauty, nor did she take any pride in her appearance. Compared to Bhakti, she was complicated She was contradictory, she was inconsistent, she was hard work, and her outer appearance reflected this inner turmoil. Everyone loved Bhakti, but not Maya. In time, Maya became jealous of Bhakti and the way that everyone made such a fuss about her. Maya wondered, how could I take Bhakti's place so that people notice me instead of her? One morning when the sisters went to bathe in the river, Maya finished her bath very quickly, got out of the water and put on Bhakti's clothes and ran away. When Bhakti emerged, she found that her clothes were gone and she was left with Maya's dirty and torn clothes, which she was forced to wear. From that day onwards, people have chased Maya and not Bhakti. Maya, the illusory word, the illusory world of sensation and compartmentalization has become glamorous, while bhakti or divine love appears as though she's just a simpleton. To the followers of Maya, those who seek out bhakti seem stupid and simple. And as the dark age came around in human history, only a small number of people who used to love bhakti still do. When we love Bhakti, Maya is still there and we can see the effect she has without fully buying into the imprisonment. The saying, be in the world, but not of the world, describes the consciousness of the spiritually self-mastered person who's been able to realize deep love, devotion. When that's in place, the antics of Maya are more like a movie Sometimes it's a drama, sometimes it's an adventure, occasionally it's a horror film, sometimes it's a comedy. 
but we can turn everything around when we truly master the power of love. So let's fall in love. We intuitively know that love's a good thing, that it's worth pursuing and that it gives meaning to our lives. People who've just fallen in love have a certain quality about them. They seem shiny and joyful and radiant. They perceive the best in their beloved and they enjoy the blissful connection that comes through moving closer into unity with each other. And the funny thing about love is that the more we give it, the more love develops inside of us. It turns into a flame that illuminates the heart. So even though devotion is seemingly given to someone else, the the beneficial effect of the devotion stays with the person who is devoted, the devotee. Through loving, our heart chakra continues to develop and fields of bliss and waves of spiritual energy are eventually able to be experienced through the inner power that devotion brings. In the great devotees written about through history, there's a certain glow, a certain magnetic attraction or spiritual fragrance that pervades the person. And when we're around such people, we feel more love than we may ever have believed is possible. And it all begins with us deciding to open our heart and take a chance on love. Fear. Fear guards the doorway to love. The issue with falling in love is that when we're enmeshed with another person whose thoughts, words and actions start to take on an importance that they didn't have before we met and fell in love with them, there's a sense where falling in love creates a kind of vulnerability. We're deeply affected by the beloved for better or worse and we risk feeling hurt. We risk feeling abandoned or that they fall out of love with us, reject us or disrespect us. And we've probably all experienced some version of this. Falling in love, feeling strong emotions and making a commitment can be a bit scary, particularly if you're used to living more inside the mind than the heart. Fear guards the doorway to love. It always has and it always will. It's by stepping through the fear that we gain all of the beauty and grace of love. It's not only in romantic relationships that this issue arises. We can have the same kinds of fear crop up when we're considering having a spiritual mentor in our lives because that too can be a relationship based on a pure kind of love, one where the expanded consciousness of a realised mentor and the blissful energy that they exude flows to us through only one thing, love. Moving through our fears without making a mess or becoming controlling is part of what this hallmark of mastery is all about. The light of spirituality cuts through the darkness of fear. As we practice being loving, the flow of grace increases to help us and works through us to create even more love and peace internally and in our world. When we're in the habit of devotion, It enters into the everyday events of our life like an invisible resolving force. Think of washing towels with no fabric softener. Sometimes they just go hard and scratchy. But when we wash them with fabric softener, the same towels in the same washing machine come out all soft and fluffy. 
you just add another ingredient and the result is far more agreeable. Devotion tends to give soothing grace and radiance and softness, even causing our karmic burdens to be experienced in a less harsh manner. There's no way we can actually avoid our karmas. And so giving, forgiving and serving serving others remain powerful methods of cultivating grace and are always recommended. Despite this, devotion eases the path and helps us to derive meaning, evolution, comfort and a sense of being loved, which supports us even in the most challenging circumstances. So remember that when you love someone, it's your love. You are giving this love. But the more you give, the more love develops like a fragrance in your heart. It's never a waste of time to love. It's only a problem when we stop loving. Let's turn now to talk about the second part of the first hallmark of self-mastery. Because it's devotion and surrender, let's talk more about surrender. When we're talking about spiritual surrender, we're talking about the surrender of things that take our power away and weigh us down. It leads to less stress and more peace. Spiritual surrender leads to a feeling of belonging, unity and lightness. Our spiritual teacher can help guide us through the process of surrender and that can be quite important. It has been in my life when different levels of consciousness start to compete for attention within our own thinking processes because the ego wants one thing but really the masterful part of self, the soul, it really wants something else. It's really interested in this process of surrender. Confusion abounds when real spiritual progress is in process and having someone who can help you surrender, not to them. You surrender to your higher self. You surrender to the light within you. And having someone who can assist with that is like a midwife at a birth. It's a priceless blessing. Nearly every day, we are, knowing or unknowing, we're surrendering. We're engaged in surrender every day of our lives. We all have to choose between competing demands on our time. By choosing one thing, we surrender another. In our busy world of work, we often get completely embroiled in the outcomes that are needed by the business we're engaged in. This is necessary to give us a pay packet and we need that to live. But we sometimes end up surrendering really important things like time with our family, time for contemplation and relaxation. And sometimes we even surrender our health because we're too busy to look after ourselves. The surrender we experience in everyday life seems necessary at the time, but sometimes it comes at a really big cost. Making these choices can mean that we end up surrendering our spirit. At the end of the day, we're all involved in surrender on a very regular basis. What sort of surrender do you want to experience? The surrender of your awareness of the Tao, and then it's just your ego, or the surrender of your ego to the purest part of who you are. That's really the choice. Imagine that you live in an hourglass, in fact, the bottom of an hourglass. The bottom of the hourglass is the restricted world of the consciousness of the ego. It's made out of thinking 
and beliefs and expectations and memories, everything that we know as Maya, and also karma. Uh, There are seeds of karma in the way our life is playing out and how our ego is unfolding. And that these things, Maya and karma, are the genesis of the outpouring of the events that create our lives. The top of the hourglass is the consciousness of the soul. It's got no top on it. It's unbounded. And this part of self is full of love and peace and joy and wisdom and sublime spirituality. Between the two parts of the hourglass, representing the higher self in the top and the ego in the bottom, is a very small opening, a little vortex. The only way to get through this vortex is through the spiritual art of surrender. In the top of the hourglass, we experience pure love. And remember, fear guards the doorway to love. And fear in this model of an hourglass guards the top of the hourglass from the bottom like a curtain. The limitlessness which lies beyond the vortex is not able to be detected until we move through that fear. The little egoic consciousness living down the bottom can't jump high enough to get up to that vortex and it's not really interested in doing so because of the layer of fear that obscures the opening. The ego does not like to feel in any way vulnerable and prefers to justify its worldview and stay in control of its own little world, never imagining what it's missing out on. To the ego, the world beyond the bottom of the hourglass just doesn't exist. It can't fathom universal principles, and so instead lives in a bubble of its own delusion. As far as the ego is concerned, if we go through that vortex, we'll be annihilated. And there's a sense in which that's true. Bit by bit, eventually there is no longer a small vessel living in separateness to the rest of creation. Instead, there's a merging of the drop back into the ocean a unification with all that is through which everything can be known and through which spiritual empowerment becomes complete. This is known as moksha or spiritual liberation. Love is the power that pulls us up through the vortex and into the amazing world of freedom and bliss represented by the top of the hourglass. Because fear guards the doorway to love, This is why courage is needed in order for a spiritual person to make real progress. And courage is a power of your heart. The ego wants to keep us safe. That's its job. It's not particularly interested in unity unless the ego is in control of the unity. The ego doesn't want to surrender because staying in control gives it the illusion that it's safe. If the ego is interested in spirituality at all, Usually it's only as a way to get what it wants. Otherwise, it tries unsuccessfully to drag the vastness of universal consciousness down into the little kingdom of the bottom of the hourglass and control that as well, which of course never works. Egoic consciousness involves self-interest, taking, demanding, hoarding, and it's naturally controlling and territorial. The ego likes things its own way and gets very aggressive if it feels that its turf is being threatened in any way. 
Inside the ego's world, everything is upside down compared to how it is in the greater unified cosmos and the Tao itself. For instance, universal consciousness involves concepts like kindness, service to others, giving and sharing. To the egoic mind, being told to give to others or serve others, which are what spiritually self-mastered people of every persuasion teach, it feels as though it's being duped or tricked. There's suspicion combined with mental justification for not doing, giving or forgiving or serving. The drive of the ego is to stay in separateness. Left to its own device, the ego consciousness settles disputes with force, imposes its will on others and insists that other people adopt its worldview. Egoic consciousness pulls down the consciousness of other people through fear and blame or shaming them or through delusion or distrust and all sorts of other things. When the ego is left unbounded, it will justify anything to get its own way and it will twist what is good to its own purposes and drag down the tone of interactions and circumstances. Whenever any religious principle is distorted to form a justification for violence, antisocial behaviour, terrorism or aggression or power over others, we really know that spiritual ego has become involved. Spiritual ego is just as bad, if not worse, than any other kind of ego. It's the voice that says, my way is the only true way and unless you adopt my way, you're a bad person and so I can do what I like to you involves a lot of ugliness. When we surrender vindictive blame, we gain a feeling of lightness, freedom, peace, and it's a huge relief. We didn't know that the terrible burden of rage and resentment was actually keeping us small and separate, weighed down and spiritually incapacitated. Sometimes it's though our wounds define us, it's like our wounds define us, and in giving up the battle, we give up our strength. We feel affronted if someone tells us to forgive a heinous, malicious, violent or vindictive action of another person. But this is the delusion of the ego, not the wisdom of self-mastery. When we surrender our hurts and fears, vindictiveness and victimhood, we actually make huge spiritual progress. Light takes the place of the darkness within us and we experience a soulful inner relief. The process of forgiveness, which is a kind of spiritual surrender, it might need to occur successively like peeling the layers of an onion, but eventually we go to a place where we just know it's done. We surrender our own aggression and what we find is a world full of gentleness. We surrender our selfishness and we gain altruism. When we enter into the flow of universal energy, all kinds of amazing things happen. We surrender grudges and hate and we find forgiveness and love. Our spirit comes alive. We surrender judgment and criticism by which we stay in separation from the essence of people and we find compassion and wisdom. Suddenly we can see with clarity how to proceed in the situation and how to bring healing and reunion into play. We surrender the passive-aggressive power games 
to find truth in authentic and respectful assertiveness. We give up lies to find the truth of ourselves and peace. You cannot pour the Tao into the bottom of the hourglass. The ego can never control it. The process of rising up and being pulled out of our egoic cocoons and back into the ever-flowing vast river of the Tao is what the entire art of spiritual mastery is about. Humble, respectful and loving spiritual teachers exist in all times and all cultures to point out to us the how, the why and the wherefore of the twin sacred arts of devotion and surrender. They model the way and their fearlessness in embodying these qualities establishes a field of clarity through which others can also have their delusions destroyed and they too can be set free to love and be loved. Whether we're talking about surrender through a sacred teaching or learning to surrender in the love of a committed marriage, we're richer people when we can be coached and reassured as we walk along the often invisible pathway that leads us eventually into all of the love, all of the joy, fulfillment and peace that we have inwardly craved. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. Daddy.